0: Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc or you can visit us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 9, 15 and 11 a.m. And today we are continuing our series that we started last week called Family Matters. And here's what we said last week, that as the exchange, we believe that the family matters a lot, not just a little, but a lot. And ultimately, uh, man, we all have to deal with the matters of the family. Now, I want to remind you, like I did last week, of something that's coming up as we end this series next week. Sunday, May 22nd will be the conclusion of this three-week series, and there's something that you need to be a part of that we're all going to participate in together, and that is next week week during the uh, message portion of our gathering, we're going to do a special Family Matters Q&A time. Now, you are the one supplying the questions, and we're going to do our best uh, to supply the answers to the matters of the family that you would like answers to. So two different ways to submit that. Make sure you uh, take that information down. You can send a text message, 769-218-9850, or if you prefer to email, you can email familymatters at the exchange.cc. So write that down. Uh, I'm not going to judge you if you want to shoot a question real quick right now, uh, while it's fresh on your mind and you're going like, well, hold on, if I share my question, then everybody in the whole church is going to know what my family's dealing with. No, 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 no. Not going there, okay? All your names, all situations will remain anonymous for the good of our whole family and for the sake of you still sleeping in the bed. Alright, that'll be really cool. So we're going to do that next week. Hey, Wednesday is the deadline for that, and so don't trail on that. Wednesday is the last day to get those questions in. You may be asking, you're like, like what, what are we talking about? Like What kind of questions are we looking at? Well, if it has to do with parenting, uh, if it has to do with marriage, it has to do with discipleship within the family, has to do with any matter of the family, we want to talk about it next week. So we're laying this out to open table. You throw it to us and we're going to do our best to try to answer those questions um, for you. Hey, every single one of us is a part of a family on some level. We kind of all agreed to that last week, whether you're a mom, a dad, brother, sister, son, daughter, grandparent, step parent, aunt, uncle, uh, second cousin what's your move? Maybe some of you are the the crazy uncle, like that's just who you are and your family. All of us are part of the family on some level, which means everybody in here deals with the matters of the family. Nobody is excluded from that today. And we said last week that at the core, we have to understand that God is the one who has created the family, like it was His idea. And in the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, we see Him put together the very first family. And so, as the exchange, we believe if God's the one who had the idea for the family and He's the one who created the family, then it just makes sense to go to his word in his truth on how to deal with the matters of the family. So that's what this series is really all about. Just reminding ourselves of what God's word says about how to deal with our family matters. Now, if you're brand new to the series, this is what we said last week. All right. I want to go ahead and preface this for you too. We admitted last week, zero perfect families. There are none. There's none in this book. There's none in this room. Mine included no perfect family. So if you walked in here today and you're imperfect, well, Welcome home. Thanks for being here. All right. And uh, so as a result of that, we're really, really grateful for what we sang just a second ago. The fact that we have a savior who went to the cross and paid for us with his blood because he's a God who gives grace even in the imperfect and broken parts of our family. We're really, really big fans of that. He's a God of truth. He has a standard as we talk about in his word, a standard to uphold. But at the same time, he gives a lot of grace where we fall short. We all fall short of that standard we talked about last week, and it gives grace, which means today if you're an imperfect person or you're involved in an imperfect family, there's still hope. There is still hope for you and for me. Now, if you were here with us last week, we started with a verse in Ephesians 5, and we went to verse 22, and it was trying to get right at the ladies, and some of you fellows are welling up. You're like, tell her, preacher. Tell her she needs to submit and obey what I say. Tell her. And then all of a sudden, I just blew it all up, and we just said, no, guess what? That verse is just one simple application of an overarching command and challenge to all of us, to every member of the family, to live in mutual submission to one another. And I equipped everyone with a question. Anybody remember what that question was? Awesome. Two of you guys asked that this week. All right. Hey, I, I gave it to you. Try to help you out. Just trying to put one on the tee for you. If you want to hit it, that's up to you. All right. The question was, what can I do to help? And, and all joking aside, I did hear that some of you did actually exercise that question uh, this week. And so uh, kudos to you. Hopefully you had much more harmonious family this week because you asked your wife, your husband, your kids, what can I do to help? Hey, and here's the deal on that. All right. That's, that's not just like a one week offer that continues on. And so go ahead and put that one in the back pocket, try it again this afternoon. Hey babe, what can I do to help? It'll be awesome and everybody will submit to each other and it'll be just like God's word laid it out. Uh, hey, let's go to James chapter four. If you've got a copy of scripture, we're going to be uh, in James chapter four towards the end of your Bible today. If you don't have a hard or digital copy, and We'll put it up on the screen for you to follow along, but would love for you just to look at it yourself. James 4. Hey, so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to point to the truth of God's Word. We'll couple that with some wisdom that I've gained from people much smarter than me, uh, throw in some of my own life experiences, and hopefully out of that, we will find some resolutions and some answers to the matters of our family. Now, one of the things that we talked about last week that all of our families share in common is that they all are imperfect. Here's a second thing that all of our families share in common. We all deal with conflict everybody in here. So if you walked in this morning and you have ever had conflict in your family, again, welcome home. Thanks for being here. All right. Conflict, we all deal with it. And sometimes it reaches very highs and sometimes it has a low season. But chances are that every family and every family relationship in the room this morning dealt with conflict at some point to some degree this past week. So you just kind of look at your neighbor and be like, you too? Yeah, you too. All right. We all dealt with it. And if you were really honest, some of you would say, you know what? I walked in, in conflict this morning. Like I was getting ready, running late, couldn't find my makeup bag. The outfit didn't work. He, the kids wouldn't obey. They wouldn't put their clothes on. He's in the car honking. Like we rolled in here, dropped the kids off and we slapped a smile on and told everybody it was okay. But the reality is we walked in, in conflict. All right. It's okay. All right. Deep breath. We all deal With conflict, and so I want us to see what does God's word say about that. But one of the things that we have to realize is that in conflict, which often leads to arguments, which leads to fights, here's one of the foundational things we have to realize today: when you win an argument in the family, you never really win. When you win an argument in the family, you never really win. Now that's kind of contrary to every other part of life. If you go to work, maybe you get an argument with your co-worker, or maybe you know, you're know you in an argument with your friend on social media. Don't do that. But you're in an argument with your friend, or maybe you're in an argument with the umpire for your kid's ball team. Okay, don't do that. All right, they don't care as much as you care, but some of us do it anyway. And you win that. Let's say you win that. All of a sudden, you're like, yeah, my point got across. But guess what? When it comes to the family, when you win an argument, you never really win. Now, there are multiple ways that we as people process conflict. So I want to kind of give us five different personalities, five different characters in this conflict processing world. And my encouragement to you is don't raise your hand. OK. And husbands, don't elbow her. All right. For the sake of not sleeping on the couch tonight. So here's five different characters uh, in this, pro- this uh, conflict processing world. Here's the first one. Peacemaker. Peacemaker never argues. They just want to make sure everybody's OK. Like, are you you fine? You okay? You good? Are you sure you're okay? You, you promise you're all right? And then you ask them, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm fine, as long as you're fine. If you're good, I'm good, okay? And they never want to get into it because they're always the peacemaker. And I think there is some good biblical truth within that context. Uh, other people, they are the sulker. And they live in the state of well talking like they just constantly they're constantly down they're constantly moping around. even when you've talked about it even when you've dealt with the matter at hand what are they doing they're still sulking because that's who they are and that's how they process conflict a third character uh, is what we'll call the stuffer the stuffer constantly responds to everyone that everything is fine, that everything's okay. Are you sure? Like there's not tension. No, everything's fine. It's good. It's good. It's good. All right. No, like, are you sure? Because I felt like maybe you're, no, it's all fine. All right. And some of you, that's you. You won't ever open up because you're spending so much time stuffing everything away. There's a fourth type. All right. No elbows again. The fourth type is the litigator. The litigator is clearly the best arguer in your family. Like, they will humbly admit to you today that they have never lost an argument in your family. Not once, ever. And there may have been that one time where you really thought you got the upper hand in the argument, but they will remind you, no, actually, I did. All right, actually, I did. Because that's what the litigator does. And for some people, that's how they process conflict. Now, the fifth character is this one right here. This is what we'll call the screamer. And the screamer is just that. When conflict arises, tempers escalate, voice escalates, and somebody just got to let it out. And they begin... scream. Now, here's what I begin to learn, right? If you grew up in a screaming, yelling family, and that's how your family chose to process conflict, chances are you married one of these other four personalities. And the very first time, whether it's in dating relationship or marriage, where conflict arose and presented itself, and you went to the default, the screamer, you became the screamer. Your other spouse in one of these other four areas probably looked at you and thought, what demon is inside of my spouse right now? All right, because they never seen that before. And and what I've learned is the, the fight inside of us is that if you came from a screaming family, if you came from a conflict family that handled that by yelling or screaming, chances are you got a part of that gene. And the battle of yourself is to try to lay that down. Now, we all handle arguments and conflicts differently. We can laugh about that. But as long as there is family, there will always be conflict. And there are multiple ways that we can process that. There are multiple versions of conflict, but there's really only one source of conflict really only one source. And so here's what we're going to do over the next little bit. I'm just going to tell you, may get uncomfortable at times. We're going to take that source, we're going to pull it out. We're going to look at that source and then we're going to try to examine, how can we move past that source in the conflict in our families? Now, James chapter 4, James introduces what I really believe is one of the most profound bits of relationship advice in all of history. I mean, it is good. And here's what James says in James chapter 4, verse 1. This is the question that he poses. What causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor, your spouse, or whoever's sitting next to you and discuss that because that might cause fights and quarrels among you, all right? We all have different opinions on what causes it. And not only do we have different opinions, but in the midst of conflict, typically we love to go to our default, which is to blame others, It's really, really easy to blame others in the middle of conflict. And if I ask you to pull out a piece of paper today, you could probably list for me three quick reasons why the closest members of your family cause conflict in your family. But here would be the issue within that. You would be blaming others. And here's what we got to understand. Here's the first big truth for today. As long as you blame others for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. As long as you blame others for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. Heard a pastor illustrated it this way. What happens when you blame others for the conflict in your family is you take your happiness and you hand it to someone else. And they become in control of your happiness. You say, I can't be happy unless you let me be happy. Now, we don't want to give up control of our happiness. We, we like to keep it to ourselves. But in the midst of conflict, that's what we say. Unless you change, unless you are different, I can't be happy. And we give up control of our happiness or of our joy. And we say, I can't be happy until you do something different. And that's the way that we live. That's the way much of our culture lives. Hey, you, you upset me. You got my happiness. I can't be happy until you give it back. And that's how we live until we begin to understand what James is about to say. And, and he gives us the antidote. Now, fellas, men, husbands, dads, here's what I want to say to us real quick, okay? Most of the time when there is conflict within our family, we just need to go on and fess up and own up to the fact that it pretty much circles back to us. Now, it may take a little bit to get there. All right, but it ultimately is going to circle back to, I know she's upset. I know the kids are acting crazy. I know it seems like it's just chaos. Ultimately, as leaders, we have to begin to be willing to own the conflict in our family, and we have to be the first one to step up and choose not to blame others in our family. See, part of learning what not to do in conflict is what James reveals to us. Here's what the rest of verse one says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they, meaning quarrels and fights, come from your desires that battle within you? Did you catch what James says? He says your conflict comes from your desires that battle within you. In the midst of conflict, our default is to point the finger and begin to blame others. But what James says here is, he says, the source of all conflict is inside of you. Every fight that you have with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, with your siblings, with your in-laws, it starts in you. You have a desire in you that is spilling out on others and thus you have conflict. James says it starts in you. And if we could just begin to own just that much today, like if we could just pray, amen, got it. It starts in me. Man, the temperature of the conflict in our relationships would begin to drop. It starts in us. But let's see what James says next. Go back to verse 2. Here's the beginning of it. He says, you desire, but you do not have. You see, every time there's a conflict, there's something you want. Every time there's conflict between you and a family member, there's something that you desire, that you want. Now I realize some of you want to push back and you're like, well, no, 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 hold on. Like, no, I, I des- it's not I want it, like I deserve it. They promised it to me. They vowed it to me. And I hear you, all right? And we're going to get there, so hold on. But James says, you got to realize it starts in you. It starts in you. And here's what he goes on to say in verse 2. He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Now Realize James is writing to the church. He's writing to the good church going, folks, not the world. But here in the middle of verse 2, he uses this hyperbole to illustrate the the intense desires that we all have in conflict. And he says, there are things that you want so badly that you are willing to hurt the people that you care for most, all in an effort to get what you want. So you kill. Some of you have seen that firsthand, where parent or child killed a relationship some of you maybe you left home when you were 18 or 19 because you could not deal with mama or daddy anymore like you just had it couldn't deal with it but if I was to interview your mom or dad today they would say what I just really wanted was I just wanted my son or daughter to act this way I just wanted them to choose this way I just wanted them to to make this arrangement in their life And if I ask you, you would say, well, you know what? Well, I just wanted mom and dad to do this thing. And they didn't get what they wanted, and you didn't get what you wanted, so you killed. And the relationship still today suffers from the tension that James points us to right here. And the reality is that men have destroyed women's images and confidence. Wives have destroyed the confidence of their husbands. Moms have just totally overcome the esteem of their daughters all because they didn't measure up to what mom wanted and dads have totally obliterated the confidence of their young sons or their teenage sons or their adult sons because they didn't measure up to what dad wanted and we shame and we put down and we even walk out on our spouse our children and our parents all because they won't give us what we want and if you want something bad enough in your desire to get what you want You will kill the relationship. And James says, you want something because you think it will make you happier. You think it will make you fulfilled. And if we want it bad enough, we will destroy the other person just to get it. But it starts with what we want. And for some of you, that's a battle you're in right now in your own family. It's a dangerous and tough place to be. And you say, well, you know what? I just want the best for them. Like, I just see so much potential in them. Like, I I just really want them to be everything that they're supposed to be. And all of a sudden, you're thinking it's all about them. But the reality is you're lying to yourself because it has really nothing to do with them. It starts in you. And the reason we hurt the people closest to us most is because they're closest to you. And we go, no, it's them. No, it's it's them. And James goes, no, it's you. It's you. And again, if we could just, if we could just own that, right? We hear it, we nod, but like if we were to own that in our family relationships, man, it would be a whole game changer for the way that we deal with conflict. But go on and look back at what James says, the rest of verse two. He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. And you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you fight And quarrel. And we're right back to the same place that we started. And what he's trying to help us understand is that if you and I just could stop before we get to the conflict. If we could just stop before, or maybe even in the middle of it, and realize to some extent, I'm not getting what I want. Now I know it's so easy to blame them and you, 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 and you did this, and you didn't come through here. But if we could just stop and realize I'm not getting what I want. Last week I equipped you with a question. This week I want to equip you with a phrase, and that phrase is this right here. You know what part of the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. You know what part of the problem is? In the middle of the conflict, I'm not getting what I want. Let's just try that together, okay? Let's just see if we can get that out. Ready? You know what part of the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. Think about it. It's for everybody. What if you said that to your spouse, to your parents, to your in-laws, to your sibling? What if you looked at them and said, babe, like, I'm really upset right now. But you know what part of the problem is? I realize I'm not getting what I want. Kids, like, I've had it up to here with you right now. I know y'all have never said that. But I'm just saying, like, I've had it up to here. I can't take it anymore. But you know what, kids? I realize that part of the problem is. I'm not getting what I want. Mom, dad, like you just don't get me. You're not in my world. And I'm frustrated. But you know what part of the problem is? I realize I'm not getting what I want. Now, I'm not saying it's all of the problem. I'm not saying there's not other areas to address. But we got to realize it starts with us. And I realize, all right, because I can see it inside of you right now. I see what your brains are thinking. You're going, man, I really wish my spouse was here for this message right now. They need to hear this thing. Are you going like, my kids, why did they not come today? Like, this would have been a great day for them to come with me. I'm sending them the link this week. And then I'm following up to find out if they watch the message. And guess what? James goes, there you go again. It starts with you. It starts with you. My wife and I get to sit down uh, with a good bit of married couples and just kind of walk through some of the dynamics of marriage and life and sometimes conflict. And one of the things we've realized is there really are no married people problems. They're not. They're single people problems that then get married. That's how it works out. Because think about it. When you're single, you can do, you can change anything you want to. You want to change the color of the walls in your bedroom? Go for it. You want to keep that room as messy as you want? Do it. Up and out, out for the weekend in New Orleans? Take it. How you want to handle the money? Spend it, save it. You do whatever you want. But guess what? When you're single, it's all about who? You. But guess what happens when you get married? Two yous come together, and they both got their own desires. And guess what happens when you put you number one with you number two, and they both have their own desires? Conflict. We all battle it. Married people, think with me for a second. How many of you remember the pie chart that you probably learned about in third grade? Anybody remember the pie chart? Awesome, teachers. There were two people awake for that week. That's really, really good. Hope you don't have to use that at work, but I'm just saying it's a thing, a pie chart. Imagine with me for a second that I sit down with you and your spouse, and I draw a circle. We're working on a pie chart here. I'm about to tell you what that's all about. We draw a circle, and I say, hey, everything in that circle represents the conflict, the disagreement in your marriage. And then I hand you the pen. I say, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to draw off your section of the pie the section of the conflict that belongs and roots in you. I mean maybe it's 50%, maybe on that, maybe it's a quarter. I don't know. There's probably some really close to perfect people in here and like you get 2% and he gets 98. She gets 98, all right? How would you do with that? Chances are if I handed you the pen, you probably wouldn't want to draw off your slice because you know why? When you own a slice, you have to be nice. When you own a slice and you begin to own your part of the conflict, guess what happens? You begin to lose your leverage in the disagreement. You begin to realize I got part of the pie. Part of it belongs to me. And as soon as you begin to own your part, the temperature in the conflict immediately begins to drop. The moment that you own your piece of the pie, you begin to lose that leverage. And remember, you don't ever win an argument in the family. There are no winners. And the best defense in the family, there's really no defense at all. Because the reason that we as spouses, as family members, as siblings have a hard time stepping into an argument before you scream, before you slam the door, before you walk out, before you send that text message, the reason we have a hard time stopping And going, I'm not getting what I want is because if we were to do that, we might lose leverage. And we love to sit in the leverage place in the conflict. And James says, absolutely. Yes. And if every member of the family begin to own their part of the conflict, guess what? You wouldn't fight and quarrel as much. You wouldn't fight and quarrel as much. See, when you own the fact that you have a slice of the pie, you have to focus on, guess whose slice? Your slice. And in that moment where we blame others in conflict, we feel so empowered. And we're like, yeah, and you did this, and you did this, and here I am. But when you begin to own your part of the conflict, all of a sudden we don't quite feel so empowered anymore. And I realize at this point, some of you are thinking, hold up, that's strong, one. Two, I got an objection. Like, objection, your honor, in the Family Matters Court, I got a problem. Because here's the deal today. He vowed he would do this for me. Like, she promised she would do that. Our kids guaranteed us they would this— No, my mom and dad, no, they said that they would. Like, they even wrote something down. We had that family meeting. It didn't even make sense. And like, but they said they would this. And so I just want them to hold their promise. I just want them to come through on their vows. And I'll tell you what, right now, it's not fair. It's not fair. And I hear you. And I'm playing a really small violin for you, all right? I hear you. But here's what I want to toss out, all right? Really careful. We got to be really careful the way we use... The not fair card. Because typically we like to use the fair card in a way that benefits us. Think about it, case in point. If you pull up at Walmart and there's one close parking spot left, I know you've never been there either, but one close parking spot left, it's raining, it's a thunderstorm, and you like got the blinker on, you're claiming that spot, and then that other little whippy sports car on the other side pulls in, whips out, and grabs that parking spot ahead of you, what do you say? It's not fair. I was here first. But now let's think about this. What happens when you pull in and you get that spot and everybody else has to park in the back 40? What do you say? Thank you, God, so much just for watching over me and taking care of me. I pray for all those other sweet people that they have umbrellas and don't drown on their way into Wally World. Right? What happens? We love to play the fair card when it benefits us. But even in the most difficult circumstances in your marriage, with your kids, with your parents, with your sibling, with your in-law, part of the reason you're angry is because you want something from him or her and you're not getting what you want. And James says the challenge in the conflict is to look more into the mirror of self and spend less time pointing the finger of blame. Look at what he says in the rest of verse 2. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you fight and quarrel. And here it is. You do not have because you do not ask God. Now, if you're in the room today and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, man, one, thanks for being here. We pray that you would show up here. But two, I'll say this to you. Like everything we just talked about, you can still take it home. Go take it home, apply it to your marriage, your family, and chances are it's going to be a little bit happier at home, all right? So all that's totally free for you. But if you're in the room today and you're going like, no, I'm a a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm, I'm in the body of Christ, exchange old life for new life, I'm rocking it, living out my purpose, trying to figure out what does that look like. If that's you, then everything we just said, definitely for you, but what we're about to talk about, totally and completely for you. What James says here is he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And what he's trying to help us understand is, hey, what if before the argument, what if before the blow up, what if before all of that started, has it ever occurred to you to get on your knees and look at God and admit to him, God, there's something I want. God, I want my husband to make more money. God, I really want my husband to be more in tune with kids. God, I want my wife to respect me and my job and my role in the family. God, we want our parents to understand who we are as teenagers, as kids, more. God, we want our, ch- our son to choose better friends. God, we want our daughter to stop dating that knuckleheaded boy. Right? And what if we begin in that moment... Rather than trying to pull something from someone else for our benefit, because there's selfishness and conflict, what if we first poured out to God, there's something I want from my spouse, from my kids, from my parents, it could change the whole dynamic of the conversation. You see, what happens is, if you're anything like me, in the midst of the moment, we're so mad and we're so frustrated that we typically pray at them rather than for them. God, would you just change him? He don't even understand what he's doing. God, would you open up her eyes and help her to see the error of her ways? And we pray at them rather than praying for them. James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Have you ever thought that what you want, you aren't getting because you are wanting something that the other person doesn't even have in them to give? Say that again. Have you ever thought that what you want, you aren't getting because you are wanting something that the other person doesn't even really have in themselves to give? My wife and I get to sit down with a lot of couples before um, I marry them and premarital counseling did it again this past weekend. And, And one of the things that we talk about is we say one of the biggest misconceptions that we have going into marriage is that your spouse, you think, will fulfill all your needs. And guess what? They won't. And guess what? They can't. They weren't designed that way. And for some of you, you do not have because you do not ask God. And you got to realize when you begin to own your piece of the pie and the faults that are in you, it gives you less time to focus on their piece. Can you imagine how much better the conversation would go if before you walked into the disagreement, before you walked into the conflict, you said, you know what? Part of the problem, good bit of the problem is me. I want something. And I'm not getting it. And then you were able to look at them and see or say to them, and I realize you weren't even designed with the capacity to give that to me. And who am I to try to pull out of you what you were never supposed to give? Truth is that some of you thought once you got married, that he or she would act a certain way. Or you thought, once my kids got this age, like, they wouldn't do that anymore. But it never changed. And we got to realize it, it starts with something we want for ourselves. Look at verse 3. James says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. He says, hey, Christ followers, realize like I'm talking about interceding to God right now in the midst of prayer. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, hey, throw up a little emergency 911 prayer before you walk out of the garage into the house or before you leave the bedroom to go to the kitchen and you're like, hey, God, help this thing out. Make me sure I say the right thing when ultimately you already got your strategic plan. Like you got the phrases, the instances, the tone you're going to use to back them into the corner so you still don't sit in the leverage seat. That's not what he's talking about. But he's saying, hey, what if before you walked into the moment, what if before you let your temper snap, if you honestly allowed God to wrestle with you and you allowed God to tell you, what is it that I'm expecting from him? What is it? That I'm expecting from her. What is it that we want? Or that I want for myself? If in that moment we really opened up and honestly allowed God to speak into us. Not like this, but like this. If in that moment we would begin to realize that God doesn't always give us everything we want. Because if he did, it would mess us up. And if you're a parent in the room, you should totally understand that. And then in that moment, it gives us the freedom to realize, God, I realize they weren't even designed to fill that void inside of me. So God, would you keep me from desiring something from them and demanding something from them that they cannot give? You do not have because you do not ask God. So have you taken your conflict to God? Have you? We're quick at taking it to them. But have you taken it to God? Can you take no for an answer? Are you owning your part? And are you trusting God to navigate his part? Because you see, here's the final application, take home question that I want everybody to ponder today in the middle of your conflict, here it is, who in your family is suffering because you aren't getting your way? Who in your family is suffering today because you aren't getting your way? Spouse, kids, parents, brother, sister, step-parent, who And your family is suffering because you aren't getting your way. Who is under the pressure to behave differently, to change, to succeed more, to alter their personality? All because it starts with something that you want. Some of you, maybe it's kids and maybe they're not here. Like they're grown and gone. But they constantly live under the weight of trying to make you happy. And every time they're with you, they're reminded of the fact that they don't measure up. And ultimately, it has nothing to do with their issue. Starts with yours. So who is suffering because you fail to acknowledge it has more to do with you than it does with them? And here's the application next step to that. What would it look like for you today to give a visit, phone call, text message, an email, to begin to take off the inappropriate pressure that they're carrying? It started with something that you want. James says it. We quarrel and we fight in our family, everybody, because there's something you want. You fight because there's something you want and you're not getting it. And guess what? They fight back because there's something they want and they're not getting it. James says the ideal family The one that gets it right, that is Christ centered, that is focused on Christ, that that tries to demonstrate Christ within the context of the family. In that family, there's always a pause before the storm. There's always a pause before you confront them and they need to be confronted. But there's always a pause to realize I'm not getting what I want. And they make the decision that I want to identify that here before I take it there. And in that moment, in that pause, they're able to go, God, would you fill me up so that I don't try to pull something out of them that only you can give? See, every family deals with it. Every family has to figure out how you're going to handle the matter of conflict. And what if today, what if today began a brand new journey of in the midst of conflict, first identifying, I'm not getting what I want. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.